2: Yeah, like for myself, I haven't carried my wallet, like my actual wallet, for the last uh, five years. If I go out, so I, just to, I just need my just need myself. Like my cell phone is, is, is my most important property. You know? my, my wallet, is, it, it doesn't really matter.
1: The very first incarnation of Citibank opened in September 1812. 200 years later, they operate 2,500 branches in 160 countries and employ a little over 200,000 people for a market capitalization in the region of 200 billion US dollars. And Financial, on the other hand, has a workforce one twelfth of that, operates no branches, and has a history that goes back only as far as 2014. And yet, in the excitement of last year's later abandoned IPO, they were valued as much as 50% higher than Citi. This is How to Lend Money to Strangers, a podcast about lending strategy, and I'm your host, Brendan LaGrange. In tonight's episode, I take a closer look at the consumer credit marketplace in China with two expert guests, Dr. Zong Liu and Dr. Rui Feng Liu. Despite their shared surnames and impressive credentials, they are not related, but both men do share a similar background. Both completed their PhDs and began their credit risk careers in North America. And both have spent much of the last decade back in China, shaping the consumer credit landscape that enabled Ant's impressive growth. We talk about some of the factors that allowed the two big super apps to assume the positions of great power they hold today. And some of the complications these factors have created. We also talk about growth and regulations. and We talk a little bit about collections. And while some of what makes the Chinese market tick is unique to itself, I believe that there are plenty of lessons in there for lenders around the world, not least of all a reminder that consumers see finance only as a means to an end, and so when ownership of the underlying market shifts, so too can ownership of the financial market. We'll start with Dr. Zhong Liu, who I knew as head of scorecard development for a credit bureau in Asia. Zhong, when I was with you in Hong Kong, which is about five years ago now, mobile wallets were busy becoming the big thing in China. And since debit cards and credit cards hadn't really made a foothold yet, there was a question about whether these would be leapfrogged, and thus whether the apps behind the mobile wallets would be the market owners and the banks would be walled out. So, as an insider, can you expand a little bit on those changes and where that balance in power currently sits?
2: Yeah, sure. I think that's what we call China Mainland here, is because the mobile payment is probably you know, like one of the greatest things that ever happened in China Mainland. It uh, basically changed the people's habit. I think, especially for the young people, not many people are uh, that change to get a credit card because you have the mobile uh, wallet. So, uh, actually, the like the usage of the mobile wallets uh, in China is like this. So you have two choice. The first choice you have is that you can have an actual like a virtual bank account. Uh, you don't need to go to the bank uh, counter to apply for a uh, card. Uh, either uh, Debit card or credit cards. You can just use these accounts to do the uh, payments. Now, and another choice you have is that if you already got bank uh, debit cards or credit cards, you can attach those accounts to your uh, mobile wallet. So when you use your mobile wallet, actually you are using uh, your credit cards or debit cards. Just in the format of an uh, electronic uh, wallet. So these are the uh, two uh, usual ways that people use the mobile wallets in China and Mainland. Uh, and another thing is that um, because people use the uh, mobile wallet, so it creates a lot of transaction data. When I was uh, working in uh, Tencent a couple of years ago, uh, actually the uh, department I was in, uh, it has all the uh, mobile payments data uh, from the uh, Tencent uh, is the WeChat uh, mobile wallet. I don't remember the exact number, but the daily transaction is about uh, 1.6 billion tran- uh, transactions every day. So it's like a huge amount of data. And the, uh, what we call is the uh, monthly active users, MAU is about 800 million people in China. So basically like uh, most of everyday, one in China maintenance, uh, if they're 18 years old, if they're old enough to have a bank accounts, they probably use WeChat's
1: uh, wallet. Dr. Rifeng Liu was born and educated in China, but later moved to the US to gain his PhD, where after he entered the consumer credit industry.
0: I went to uh, household international at that time, which later was acquired by HSBC. So I worked there for seven years. So, so I worked in portfolio management, analytic modeling, acquisition. So all kinds of job. I went through the entire uh, cycle of cards. I started with the prime cards. Then I worked in the near prime. Then I also worked in the subprime area. So although in one company, I worked for seven years, but I had... a uh, several different jobs, uh, worked uh, in different uh, portfolios, the full spectrum of uh, credits. Then uh, I moved to Washington Mutual, so, which was later uh, acquired uh, by J.P. Morgan. I stayed with J.P. Morgan for a total of uh, eight years. So first five years in the U- in U.S., then the last three years, I was sent uh, by J.P. Morgan to work in Beijing. This was a strategic partnership program with the China Post-7 Bank.
1: So, as you heard, Rui Fing was very much a credit card man when he was relocated to China. So I pitched him the same question about credit cards being leapfrogged, and I got very much the same answer.
0: So, for for example, for the credit cards, China actually passed that stage, didn't go through that stage. Yeah, because of when you're stuff in Alibaba, in Tencent, they know your credit history, your your transaction history, so they can lend you money, right? Credit card gives you a convenience for purchasing. And for Alipay and for WeChat Pay, it has that convenience. So once you make the purchase and once you get the money from them, then it's a matter of when you pay back. So they give you a grace period for you to pay back. That's just like a credit card, right?
1: Okay, so we're seeing leapfrogging now, but was that always the intention, do you think? When you were sent to Beijing to help the Postal Savings Bank, was the intention then to help them replicate the Western model, complete with cards? Or was the idea already then to accelerate some homegrown innovations?
0: I, I, I would think it's in the middle of what you said. Because in China, there are four of five big banks. For example, uh, the ICBC, which is the uh, Industry and uh, Commercial Bank of China, and the Bank of China, BOC, and the CCB, China Construction Bank, uh, and uh, China Agriculture Bank. So those uh, big banks actually all get a uh, strategic partners from the U.S. banks or Europe banks. I think the majority uh, strategic partner banks are from U.S. So those uh, four big banks and the other uh, other commercial banks, they all had strategic partnership banks. And uh, the China post 7 Bank was a new bank. The bank was founded in 2007 in terms of uh, managed the asset is the number five big banker. And that's the only banker didn't have any strategic partnership. So because the CEO of the bank and the Morgan senior officers, they had a personal relationship. They want to introduce, they wanted J.P. Morgan to come to help China Post-7 Bank. So this backs to what you said. So for China post seven bank, it actually was a traditional seven bank. People, come, people, customers come here to save, uh, deposit the money. They didn't have a much direct lending business at that time. So for total for the total assets, only 20% of the assets was actually lended by themselves. So we were there to help them for, for example, branch management, how to operate a branch. For for this bank, for the China Post-7 Bank, they have 47,000 branches, how to
2: lend money, how to do risk management I think probably we are talking about two different things. So if we just focus on the mobile wallets, just the uh, uh, payment uh, approach, uh, it doesn't necessarily give you credit. So you still use your own money just in the format of a mobile uh, wallet. But of course, that's, uh, there are many companies in China now, uh, particularly like those, those the so-called uh, fintech companies, they provide a uh, small loan, I think the average amount of the loan uh, is uh, within like 10,000 IMB, uh, 1500 USD. So it's not a really huge amount compared to the credit cards or the instrumental loan offered by the banks. In particular, for the young people, because um, they are young and they don't have a very really high income. And they haven't been working for a long time. It is not easy for them to get a credit card or a large loan from the banks. So, these sort of small loan products are very really popular for the young people in China. And usually these loans, uh, what we call is a revolving loan. They are not the installment loan. So it's mostly like a credit card, but the only difference is that with credit card you have a grace periods, but for this revolving loan you don't. But it's much easier for you for, for you to use. Like it takes you literally like seconds for you to apply the, the loan online. Like you don't need to go to any banks, or you don't need to produce any uh, like documents. That you can get a loan like in a couple of seconds.
1: And so, when these fintechs are making their loan decisions, or at least their first loan decision before they've built their own data on a customer, can they tap into this data held by Alipay, by WeChat Bank, either directly or via some sort of credit bureau, or is that data tightly held within each universe?
2: Oh, actually, it's a really good question. Uh, who has ownership of this data, and you know, who can use the data? Uh, so in China, like the credit bureau business, uh, the credit bureau industry in China is a bit different from U.S. or Canada or even in Hong Kong. Because uh, in China, you, if you want to open a credit bureau, you should have the license from the central bank, the People's Bank of China. And uh, until now, there are only two of the two companies were granted granted uh, with such license. You know, originally, in 2014, there are eight companies that are trying to apply for this license. And at that time, uh, the central bank said that uh, I will give you a uh, permission for you to operate the business, but I don't want to give you the license just now. You can operate for like half a year, and then I will see whether uh, you are eligible to get the license or not. And then after six months, none of these eight companies uh, got the license. Uh, and uh, for uh, like the Tencent, the Alibaba because they are huge internet companies and they have um, like hundreds, if not thousands of internet products. So of course they accumulate lots and lots of data, like both uh, both in the uh, amount of the data and also uh, like in different dimensions of the data. But it seems that um, this data, they are sort of like the private properties of these companies. Usually they are not going to share this data with any other companies, not even with the banks. For one thing, Uh, They don't want to share it because, like this data, of course, has a lot of value. And the second, because they don't have the credibility license, so in theory, they cannot uh, share this data with companies. So in another way, they cannot share this data for profit purpose. So uh, for the non-products like offered by um, Tencent, that offered by the V V Bank or by the end Group. Of course, they are using data from Tencent or from Alibaba, but the reason they can't use it is because like, they are the subsidy of Tencent or Alibaba, so it's okay for them to use. Yeah, but for the other banks, they can't uh, use the data directly. Probably they can use it in, in that other way. For example, uh, many of the banks, they have the so-called joint lending uh, with the end uh, group, or uh, with WeBank. So basically, the idea is that those banks have the funding but they don't have the customers. Or they don't have uh, enough data uh, to do a really good credit policy. So they will uh, join with WeBank or uh, with the and Group, and they have this uh, joint lending. Uh, so um, maybe um, the bank will uh, provide like ninety nine percent of the funding. the uh, Group or WeBank only only provide one percent of the funding, and then they will share the profits. Yeah.
0: But, of course, in terms of the profit, because Alibaba, they provide the customer. So they will share a big portion of the profit, not proportional to the capital that they provide. Yeah. So Tencent does the same thing. And all the other in big internet companies, they all do the same thing. Yeah. So China has one centralized credit bureau. It's the PBOC, People's Bank of China. So they own that, and basically all banks are using that bureau information. All banks, and for other lending institutes, financial institutes, actually, people every lending institute wants to use that, but the PBOC credit bureau, they don't just give that to everybody to use it. You need to apply to access it, to use the data. And they need to give you permission. And they need to approve that. Yeah, and for example, for the P2P companies, there were more than 6,000 P2P companies, but none of those companies, were allowed to use the PBOC credit bureau information. And even for each banker, they need to apply individually to apply. And then the PBOC needs to approve. It's not automatically it will be approved. You need to first share your data for three months. You need to report your data for three months. And after they say, okay, then they will give you access to to, um, uh, to to get the uh, applicants' uh, credit bureau information. Yeah, so you need to report information first uh, before you can get information from them.
1: Yeah, I think that part's not too far out the ordinary. Uh, we would ask for as much as two years of retro data when taking a new lender on board at the credit bureau. But I think what's very different in China is that the balance of power is with all these sort of innovative players that sit outside of the traditional framework in most other markets, to be honest. The bulk of the market is held by the big banks and the big banks, you know, there's a few in number and they've got a long tradition of fairly controlled storage of data. So it's quite easy for, the, for us to say to them, this is how you're going to report data. These are the special fields we're using and this is the process and to cover the bulk of the market in that rigid approach. And then now there's sort of coming up some fintechs, some new models that might sit outside of the credit bureau until we've got a, our heads around how to incorporate them. But they're always just a few percent of the market. So actually for the industry, it's not a burning bridge. It's not a major problem. So for example, in the UK, the hot new topic is buy now, pay later. And the biggest name in that game is probably Klarna. Uh, The regulator is pushing Klarna to come on board to the credit bureau because traditionally the bulk of their business was outside of the remit um, of the financial regulator, and so it wasn't reported to the credit bureau. And that's important. The industry is very keen to get that in. It does play a big role in affordability calculations, or it should play a big role in affordability calculations. However, as much as they're a household name, as much as they're growing really, really fast, you know, the percentage share of, of credit extensions in the market is still tiny. But I see it in China the other way around that maybe it's as much as 80% of the market share on the consumer credit side is sitting outside of the banks. So it's sitting with Alipay, it's sitting with WeChat Bank. And so the pressure to to evolve the, the bureau landscape or to think of ways to incorporate them must be greatly higher.
2: Exactly right. Like in the U.S., In Canada, the banks, they uh, they have the power, so they are on the powerful side. But in China, it's the other way around. Because Tencent, Alibaba, they have lots of customers, and they have lots of data. So actually, they are more powerful.
1: Zong, just to expand on that point, I started to talk about the younger population being especially likely to borrow from these super apps, these mobile wallets. But is that actually the case in China? Or would you say this is so far rolled out now that it's the standard model for most credit active citizens today?
2: So uh, exactly, uh, like you said, like for example, for the uh, young people, like they don't have a very really high income and they don't have been working for uh, a long terms. they are not the targeted customers for the traditional banks. But these are the targeted customers for WeBank and uh, Alibaba because um, uh, they have some other data that the banks don't have, so they can do. Uh, probably better targeting or do better risk management. So these people, they are of high risk to the banks. Or at least the banks think they are high risk? But actually, for these two companies, because they have the more data, so they can do a better job differentiate the people. They can still pick up uh people with uh good uh quality and they can do the uh, lending. But for the more senior people or the people with high income are. Uh, like for example, for myself, sometimes I do uh, lending from the V Bank or other group, but it's very uh, really, very really seldom. It's very really, very really occasionally. Uh, most of the time, I still do the lending from the uh, banks because for the traditional banks, if they offer you a loan, usually the price is lower than the price can be offered by uh, we bank. Because remember, like I said, the majority of the funding for these companies, for these two companies, is still coming from the banks. So their price in theory can be lower than the banks. It's not because they can offer you a uh, lower price or uh, more no uh, amounts. Uh, the, I think the advantage is that it is um, much easier for you to use. It's really efficient. And also, uh, their standard is a little bit lower than the traditional banks. Especially for those young people, that is it. They don't care to apply for a credit card from the banks. It's not only that the banks um, wouldn't give the card to them because they are too young; they don't have enough income or things like that. They just don't want to go through the more tedious or more painful process to get a credit card. I think now the situation it may change a little bit, but still, like lots of the young people, they don't want to go through that process. And once I, when I worked intention before, like we did some, uh, like customer uh, survey, like we asked them because for the, for the new we know, there's no the grace period. Now, once you use it, you have to pay for the insurance. We did a customer uh, survey. We asked the customers, like, why you want to pay for the insurance, right? So like for the credit card, at least you have the grace period. And lots of the people, uh, particularly for the young people, uh, they are surprised that they don't care about the insurance. But the seems that the amount, is the no amount is really small. So in an absolute sense, the interest that you pay is not too much. So yeah. for the young people, like I don't, I don't really care. Like if I need to pay as small amounts to China for the convenience, they think it is uh, it's not a bad choice. So you know, it depends on on uh, what you want. Um, but of course, it leads to another problem. And now the regulation agency in China they have noticed that. So. Uh, in their view, that this sort of joint lending it may cause some problems because for uh, Tencent or for Alibaba, they are not banks. They don't have capital requirements, but actually they control the customers and they control the data and they basically do the risk measurements. So if something wrong with Tencent and Alibaba then uh this sort of risk will be passed to the banks for sure. Because the majority, like 99 percent of the funding is still from the banks. Like, like no one would expect this in uh five years ago. Like when this starts, people people don't think that it can grow so fast and grow so huge in such a short time. So that does change the market and it does change the uh, the whole environment. Like for example, for ungroup, uh as far as I know, Assets they have for now, it should be more than one trillion dollars. That's why the regulation agencies they are so concerned. Because in
0: China, for lending business, you must have a license. You know, for a bank, you have a capital requirement, right? About the two, about the three requirement, you can only lend so much.
2: Hi.
1: plushcare.com slash weight loss
0: and also you have a consumer lending license that also has some kind of restrictions on the amount you can lend and another thing is micro lending company that also has some kind of restrictions so for all those kind of ways to generate lending money at most. But the regulation is you can only lend about five times of the registered capital.
1: Speaking of risk-weighted capital, let's talk about risk. What is risk like in the consumer credit market in China with the advent of these fintech powerhouses who also have interests in other parts of the business? Have you seen risk rise or, so I guess a bit more generally, just what is the state of risk uh, in lending in China today,
2: even for the uh, risk measurement, it's a bit different. And the difference is not about the technique you use or the data you use. I think it's uh, more about the, the 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 logic of the risk measurement. Because in the traditional banks, risk measurement is more about how you can develop a better model, how you can develop a better credit policy, like using probably more data or use uh, more advanced uh, modeling techniques. But uh, for the international lending. Uh, you should combine the, this measurement with the product for two uh, different companies, like the model is more or less the same. The data you are using is more or less the same, but the default rate is quite different uh, simply because like more one product uh, it can offer better customer experience than the other one. And because if there are two products, uh, internet many uh, products, uh, you can choose. And one, they have a really good customer experience. And the other one, the customer experience is, is really bad. Uh, and it is, it is quite significant uh, when it comes to the internet lending. And also, they can
0: control the customer's behavior because the platform itself. Because if, for example, the, a customer borrowed money from this platform, and if at the end the customer doesn't pay, then Alibaba can close the account, because everybody uses Alibaba or Taobao. That's a, that's something that you cannot, you cannot avoid.
2: Yeah, because the reason I realize this problem is that um like for my current employee, like we also provide some uh, leading product to our customers, and uh, from time to time. Like I would like to talk to the customers on the phone, especially talk to those um in delinquency when a college team calls them, sometimes uh, like i will ask some questions directly. so one I uh, ask the several people the same question like when you borrow the money from us, like what is the usage of your money like you use it for like buying something or just the, for like uh, traveling or things like that and for the delinquent people, I really have percentage is about the fifteen percent of the people. Uh, they borrow the money from us and pay off their debts uh, to the V-Bank or to the uh, Alibaba. Because uh, like to them, uh, it's like you say, it's like a hierarchy thing. Tencent, Alibaba, like they are so dominant in their life. That they, they don't want to break their good leadership with those companies. But for us, like we are small companies. They don't really care about us. So they have no problem. Borrow our money to pay off their debts with them. <laughs> so, so so naturally, it is really hard for you to get a uh, for you to get uh, as low delinquishing rates uh, as those uh, companies. It's not that you don't have a better model or you don't have a better credit policy. It's just that the the willingness of your customer to pay back to you uh, is smaller than uh, they have paid to those
1: uh, big uh, companies. Yeah, that's interesting because normally sort of part and parcel of being a micro lender is knowing your bottom of the pile uh, when it comes to the hierarchy of repayments. But... Alipay and and WeChat Pay, because they're part of these organizations that touch every part of Chinese life, they flip that around. And and suddenly, even though it's a small debt, it's gained itself top billing in the the consumer's mind.
2: And another thing that I want to say is that it's it's also the same problem that my friends at the banks are really concerned of. The banks have this um, business partnership with uh, Alibaba and Tencent. So that is, the, all the customers, they, they, they don't know the banks behind those um, lending products because they're just the the, uh, the funding providers. But what they see is the brands of Tencent. So in theory, the, the customers, uh, they are clearly um, like they, they known from the banks. And the, uh, the banks have all the customers' information. But actually, like the, the banks are invisible to the customers. Uh, like starting when you are like a young student and you have the student loan and then you uh, graduate, you have your uh, your first job, you got your credit cards and then you can have your instrument loan and when you get married you need to buy a house then you need to have a mortgage because in different stage of your life you have different needs for the uh, lending products or for some products from the banks so the customer actually is uh, the, the most valuable asset for the banks but for most of the banks now, if they have this when they have this partnership with Tencent, Alibaba, actually they don't have the
1: customers. So this is the biggest problem for them. And now just a, a bit of a change in direction, I guess. But Rui Feng, I'm not sure how, if you've done a lot of work in collections, but I'd be quite interested to know how that side of risk works. Once consumers do go delinquent or are starting to get into financial trouble, what is the normal approach to collecting these debts? Yeah,
0: so I would say depends on who the lender is. For banks, for example, the delinquency rate is very, very low. And especially in the last few years, 40 years ago, the delinquency rate for all the Chinese banks are very, very high. Uh, the bad rate, 90%, 90 plus days delinquency rate, is over 40%. That's 40 years ago. But uh, later, the delinquency rate uh, for banks are very low. The reason is because uh, there are lots of uh, new lenders came out, uh, as I said, uh, micro-lending companies uh, and uh, P2P companies. So if a, if a consumer has a difficulty to pay a bank, then they will borrow money from a micro-lending company to pay the banks. And if they could not get from a micro-lending company, they could borrow from a P2P company to pay. And for China, for example, for credit card, if you charge a credit card and you don't pay back, it's not a credit issue. It's a crime issue. So you, you, you could be put in jail. So that makes the banks consider considered very, very low in the past years. But it went up, I believe, in the last one year because all the P2P companies are gone. The Chinese government doesn't want these P2P companies to exist anymore. So they are all gone. So now that means they don't have any new source to borrow, to pay the banks. So that naturally, put the bank's then really high, And in terms of collection, before, what well, the Chinese mindset is, if you borrow money, then you have to pay back. There is no bankruptcy, personal bankruptcy. Even if you cannot pay back, your son, your daughter will pay for you. That's the history of the mindset in the Chinese. But now this changed also quite a lot, especially started from two years ago in China. So before, for example, you can go to the borrower's home, but get into the house or the home to ask them to pay. Now you cannot do that. If the borrower doesn't give you permission to enter the home, it's against the law. Uh, if you do collection through phone calls, only make a phone call at a certain time. And the number of calls for one day is only three. And you cannot make a connection phone calls to the relatives two years ago, three years ago. When I make the credit decision, lending decision to the person, I will collect all the phone number of numbers of the relatives, the friends, and the local numbers. Then I can make phone calls to anybody that force the person to pay. But now this situation changed that. You can make only three calls, collection calls a day, and you cannot go to the person's home. But for, for banks, they can still make a file a lawsuit to the person that, who doesn't pay, right? And this is protected by the law. And also actually the, the credit sense is stronger than, stronger than before. So people all care about the credit history yeah, so if they don't make a payment, especially for a small amount, and they put a record in the credit history, it's not worth So people all have that kind of sense. Of course, if the, the amount is too huge, it's worth to not pay, then it's different.
1: Riefing, right right in the introduction, you talked about your experience working in the different risk rates of the credit cards, you know, working subprime through to superprime. And obviously, the States probably leads the way in terms of consumer awareness of the detail of their credit scores, where you know, quite a lot of consumers will even know that whether they're super prime, even know kind of the score cutoff they're aiming for. But certainly, it's probably safe to say the majority of people know about the concept of prime, super prime, subprime, and will be familiar with their own credit score and where they sit on that spectrum. When you talk about this growing awareness of the credit profiles in China... Does that extend to that same depth that people are striving to be super prime and looking for help and looking for strategies to manage their credit upwards? Or is it still a little bit more rudimentary where people are mainly just trying to avoid a black mark on their record?
0: Actually, the PBOC Credit Bureau, they build a score, but that score was never populated. So for General customers they don't know such a score exists. They just know that I have a history or not. But there is a similar score. It's built by Alibaba. But Alibaba score is only a internal score for Alibaba.
1: To the doctors Liu, thank you very much for making the time to appear on the show today. China, I think, is a market that all of us in the West look at, and you know the scale of it can can leave us somewhat in awe. But also, we sometimes feel like we might be missing the nuances. And it's interesting to hear that, yeah, there are these names that don't exist in, in the Western lending. There are these models where the power is shifted. But actually, a lot of what's happening is very familiar to us. And I think, as I said in my introduction, there's actually a lot of lessons. It might be different times. Uh, it emerge in a different order. But some of this interplay between what a consumer wants to do with their money and where they get that money is something that all lenders need to bear in mind as they look at the future and the trends they're seeing. So thank you again uh, for making that time and for joining me. And for those of you listening, thank you for joining the show. This has been How to Lend Money to Strangers, the podcast about lending strategies across the credit lifecycle and around the world. Today we were talking about China, a country with one billion people, Next week, we're shrinking it all the way down, and we're going to find a little country called Georgia in between Eastern Europe and Western Asia with a population of just 4 million. I'm speaking to Joffrey Turin, a scorecard builder and consultant based there, about lending in Georgia and about building scorecards from microfinance. Please do join me next Thursday for that.
0: But things changed quite a lot uh, in the last ten years. But basically, before they don't have the technology, they don't have that, that much of models to judge the risk, and for credit sense, it's not there. But in the last ten years, things changed a lot, and for the the big banks, they actually. Uh, shifted a lot from enterprise 19 to consumer 19.